Hello, everyone. This is Rick with the Cyber Pro Podcast. Industry leaders share their insights. It's about five questions in nine minutes because hackers never sleep. So let's get to it. Question number one, easiest question of the day. Who are you and what do you do? Awesome. I think I can answer that one. Uh, my name is Hello Solo. I am a cybersecurity product uh, developer. I've been doing software development in the security world for more than, way too long, 20-something years. Uh, and it's been all sorts of types of products in security, uh, hardware, software, cloud. Uh, most recently, I was in the serverless security space doing security for Lambda functions uh, in a small startup, which we sold to Checkpoint. Uh, and since then, I've been involved in uh, trying to get uh, this company to protect ones off the ground and try to figure out what API security looks like in the uh, sort of next generation simplified world that we're looking for. You know, that's amazing. And I, I hear a lot about API security, so I'm excited to kind of work through the questions and then and get some insights on that from you as well. Second question, why do you love being a cyber professional? I think my favorite thing about it is that whatever you figured out yesterday is not going to be relevant tomorrow. And for me, yeah, I, I love the problem solving aspects of my job. I love trying to figure out, you know, what's the next thing we have to worry about and then what's the thing we could do about it. And, you know, th thank God it's it's never going to be boring for us. So I think that, that for me, again, I, you know, I recognize that for someone who is trying to keep their organization secure, that's not a good thing. They would love it if whatever they did yesterday, you just keep them secure forever. And I, you know, I, I do wish the world were that way. Uh, but for me personally, I, I really derive enjoyment from the fact that whatever problem we solved yesterday, we still have to keep it solved, right? People will still go back and abuse whatever hole there was 20 years ago if you open it, but there's always a new type of hole, a new type of challenge, a new type of thing. And for me, that's tons of fun. Yeah, it's it's this constant circle, right? You, you fix something, they find a flaw. So, <laughs> yeah. so in the world today, we hear cybersecurity is a top concern, but, but what does that mean to you? Well, I think that, you know, we've seen things get more and more connected over the past, you know, 20 years, let's say, you know, I, you know, I remember when IOT was this word, I had to go Google, right. And, you know, and figure out, I remember when Google was the word I had to Google, uh, you know, so I, I think we've seen more and more things become more and more interconnected and the things that we take for granted that we can do today, you know, and our, through our phones and our smart speakers and our connected cars, they're really incredible. Uh, but it, it has meant that the importance of cybersecurity has continuously grown through that era. Right. And so, uh, the people who want to do bad things, whether it's because they're state actors or because they're looking to uh, extract money or because they're just, you know, malicious vandals or for all sorts of other reasons, they are constantly coming up with new, you know, coming up sorry, with new ways to abuse these systems. And these systems are more and more capable of abuse because they are more and more connected. They have more and more capabilities, things that we wouldn't have dreamed of, you know, our whole air conditioning system. No one 25 years ago thought, oh, that's going to be connected to the internet. I need to worry about some ransomware attack on my home air conditioning system. That's a real threat today, right? And so I, I think, you know, it's it's become more and more important because the interconnected, you know, computerized network of things that we live in has become greater and more powerful. And so it's necessary for us to continuously think about, you know, what does that mean for attackers? What does that mean for us? What do we have to do to protect ourselves? And I'll say at the same time, uh, you know, like any other form of security, it's easy to go overboard. Right? The easiest way to secure a network is you know, disconnecting from the internet, but you lose a lot of functionality that way, right? And the easiest way to prevent uh, you know, malicious third-party uh, code from entering your system through open source libraries is not to use any open source libraries. But the impact on the velocity of your application development goes down tremendously to do that. So there's got to be a balance between the, the decisions we make about how to secure ourselves and the impact on 
whether it's our business or our life or you know our front door, there's got to be some balance between how much security, what kind of security, and then what are we actually trying to do? Because most of us are not trying to secure anything in our day-to-day lives. We're trying to get somewhere, drive somewhere, build something, sell something, deliver a service. And that's, that's there's got to be that balance. No, that's that's amazing. And I and appreciate you talking about that. What insights do you want to share with our community? So I, I've spent the past couple of years really you know, diving into API security um, and understanding, well, trying to understand. Understanding is already a, a big statement. Trying to understand uh, what that means. And, and a couple of things I think are interesting. One is that really API security is just the next evolution of AppSec. We, you know, we're protecting our applications from attack. It's just that the core vector of attack has become the APIs simply because we have figured out that in a world where a, we've got mobile apps and desktop apps and web apps. It makes sense to expose a lot of our functionality through APIs. Uh, between our different microservices, APIs make a lot of sense because they allow us to sort of distribute the responsibility for things and have a kind of a contract between our services. And then the way we interact with third-party services is more and more by APIs. So those APIs have become kind of the front door when they maybe, maybe they used to be a small back door. And so our shift in security has been to protecting those APIs simply because that's where the majority of those attacks come from. Not to say that web application security is not still important and other things, there's tons of other things that are important, but the primary vector that people are trying to use to attack our applications is through their APIs today. So on the one hand, API security is just sort of AppSec 2.0, uh, and, and a lot of the things we did today, you know, to date in AppSec are relevant there. We're still worried about SQL injections and code injections and command injections and things like that. But at the same time, one of the things that I think has shifted in the world, and this is a result of our shift towards APIs, is we've moved a lot of business logic around over the past few years. And what I mean by that is, uh, in, in a traditional web app, the server had a lot of the business logic. There were steps that had to happen. You put items in the cart, and then you took the cart and calculated the price, and then you put the payment information. All those steps were typically handled in the back end, other than the user input. So as a user, I got a, a box to fill in my credit card, and a box to put the items in, et cetera. As we've gone more and more API, it doesn't have to be this way, but it almost always is. We create these very generic, very flexible APIs. As developers, and I, I'm a developer at heart, and this is exactly the kind of thing I do as a developer, I think, well, I know right now I only need to get this one value for a user, but why don't I put all the information I know about a user in the API call? And that way, later on, if the developer of the, you know, the front end wants to show the icon or wants to show the user's role, or wants to show the user's email address, all that information is available to, you know, to that developer. And from a, from a flexibility and a velocity development perspective, that kind of you know, generosity is really good. From a security perspective, it's really lousy. And so what's ended up happening is we put a lot of business logic into the client. We've got a lot of data we don't need to expose you know, out to the client. We're letting the client change things via API calls or REST calls that maybe they don't need to actually change. And again, if you're building an app, that's awesome for you. You get to move really quickly. There's things that you want to do. You don't need anybody in the back end to change anything for you. That's amazing. If you're an attacker, that's awesome for you as well. Because as soon as you see a user ID somewhere you didn't expect a user ID, you start thinking, what if I change that user ID? What if I do a, a post on that user ID instead of a get on that user ID? So I, I think the, the thing for us as we've moved to API that's really important is really sort of focusing on what are our APIs trying to let people do? And are we trying to keep them flexible, but at the same time sort of at least pared down reasonably to the things we're trying to enable. And then around that, do we have a program in place to understand what the ramifications of those APIs are and then how we can protect them? So I, I think it's, it is AppSec 2.0. It's just, it's yet another AppSec, but it's also to some degree quite different. No, that's, that's super insightful. Very appreciative of that. 
Here's the final and fun question for you. What's your favorite piece of retro technology that makes you smile? So there's so many, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to say, I'm going to tell one story first, which was uh, a couple of years back, my neighbor got a 3D printer. And uh, a few weeks later, his, his, I guess his like 10 year old son or something discovered a floppy disk in his office. And he said, hey, dad, why did you print the save icon, you know, from, from Word, right? Because <laughs> he'd never seen a floppy disk in any other context. So, so things become retro really quickly. And I think my favorite example, I just talked about recently with somebody is, is the Blu-ray disc, not because it's a good or bad technology. And it's, I know it's not that retro, uh, you know, there's rotary phones and I, I've used all those things as well, but because it's a good example of a technology that we introduced really hard, really late into the physical media, uh, you know, uh, you know, time span. And, and, you know, we, we did a lot of work to get Blu-rays in everybody's homes and everybody's hands. And then we kind of made them obsolete almost immediately. You know, I mean, uh, I can't remember the last time I touched a Blu-ray disc. I, you know, I, and I know, I, I, I know there's people who live further out and, and for whom the internet is still not that great. And, and it, you know, I know that Netflix still, you know, rents DVDs and Blu-rays. I'm not saying it doesn't have its place, but for me, it's, it's always that reminder of you can be stuck in solving yesterday's problem right into tomorrow, right? And the discover you've built, yeah, I, I've done this in security. I'm guilty of it. I built great solutions to things that are no longer really big problems anymore. Someone else has commoditized their solution and I should have been focusing on the next thing. So I, I think for me, it's always sort of wise to, to remember, yeah, there's an amazing technology and I've spent some time in Blu-ray. I know what's inside it. I know how the security works and they did some really amazing things. And then everybody just went to streaming over the internet and, you know, and Netflix. So it, it's always good to remember which of your technologies are going to become retro way faster than you expected. I'll, I'll agree with you on the Blu-rays only because last night my wife and I were looking around and we we're like, let's go watch this Blu-ray, but where should we put our Blu-ray player? And after about 15 minutes, I was like, I have a PlayStation that'll play it. <laughs> and we were both like, oh my God. So I, I thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. That was great. I really appreciate you having me on. It's really, really interesting. Great questions and great conversation. Thank you for watching the CyberPro podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss out on new podcasts and bonus content.